Yes, it's time once again for another episode of Wrestling with Theology. I am Pastor Doug Minton, your host and your guide, as we wrestle with the theology here in the Apostolic Fathers this week, looking at 1 Clement chapters 49 through 54. We're on our next to last segment on the epistle of the Roman Presbyters to the church in Corinth. So we're picking up a little bit of the speed and going through what needs to be done before the Roman presbyters can be satisfied with the way the church in Corinth is going. So begin in chapter 49. Having Christ's love, let us do the things declared by God. Who is able to declare the bond of God's love? Who is sufficient to tell the majesty of his love? The height to which love exalts is unspeakable. Love joins us to God. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love endures all things. It is long-suffering toward all things. There is nothing coarse in love, nothing arrogant. Love does not have schism. Love does not divide. Love does all things in concord. In love, all of God's elect are perfected. Without love, nothing is well-pleasing to God. In love, the Master took us. Through his love toward us, he gave the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ by God's will and his flesh for our flesh, his soul for our souls. This chapter is based upon 1 Corinthians 13. The Roman presbyters begin with Jesus' own admonition, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Christ's love binds everything together in perfect harmony, Colossians 3, 14. Who is able to adequately describe God's love? No one. Even a great excursus like 1 Corinthians 13 only covers the most minute picture of God's love for his creation. Its height is unspeakable. With this love, God is well pleased with us. Without this love, we cannot please God. This may sound like a contrast to Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please God. True faith works through love, Galatians 5.6. In his love, Jesus brought us to himself. He became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14, so that he might give his blood for our blood, his flesh for our flesh, and his soul for our soul. In his redemption, he gives us the living bread from heaven, John 6, 51. By eating this bread, we live in Christ as Christ lives in us, Galatians 2, 20. The Roman presbyters continue in their admonition towards the love of Christ in chapter 50. See, beloved, how great and majestic love is, and there is no record of its completeness. Who is sufficient to be found in it except whoever God will vouchsafe? Therefore, let us bind and entreat to be blameless and without partiality toward men. Every generation from Adam until today has passed away, but those who are perfect in love according to God's grace have a place in the country of the godly. They will be manifested in the visitation of Christ's kingdom. For it is written, You will enter into the closet for a small while, until my wrath and anger shall pass away. I will remember the good day, and I will raise you out of the tombs. Blessed are we, beloved, if we do God's commands in the concord of love, so that our sins may be forgiven us through love. For it is written, Blessed are those whose lawlessnesses have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered over. No deceit is in his mouth. Thus the declaration of blessedness has come to pass on those who have been elected by God through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Who is sufficient to understand and explain God's love? No one. Its fullness is too great. 
We can best show God's love by binding ourselves to His Word and entreating Him to make us blameless and keep us from showing partiality toward men. Those who have been perfected, completed in God's love, as found in Proverbs 10.12, James 5.20, and 1 Peter 4, verses 8 and 18, have a place in the heavenly realm. These may have hardships or plenty in this life, but their position in God's love will be fully manifested when Jesus returns. It is God's love that grants forgiveness, John 3.16. In His love, God has covered all our sins so that they are seen no more, Psalm 32.1 and Romans 4, 7-8. The Roman presbyters combine the prophecies of Isaiah 26.20 and Ezekiel 37.12. The grave is considered the closet where the people of God hide themselves until His wrath has passed away. We enter the closet of the grave because of our sins. We can only come out of the grave by God raising us out of the tomb. This is the manifestation of God's love for His people. He declares us righteous in this life through the forgiveness of sins. He declares us righteous in the next life by raising us out of our graves and bringing us into His everlasting glory. So what does this love of God shown to us prompt us to do? The Roman Presbyters picked that up in chapter 51. Therefore, we have fallen away, and what we have done is through the misdeeds of the adversary. Let us entreat God to forgive us. And those who made themselves rulers of factions and divisions should also seek to contemplate the common ground of hope. For those who walk in fear and love desire that they themselves suffer rather than their neighbors. They pronounce condemnation on themselves rather than against the good and righteous harmony which has been handed over to us. For it is good for a man to confess concerning the trespasses rather than to harden his heart, just as the heart of the insurrectionists were hardened against God's servant Moses, whose judgment was clearly manifested. For they descended to Hades alive, and death was their shepherd. Pharaoh and his army and all those who ruled Egypt, their chariots and their horsemen, were overwhelmed in the Red Sea and were destroyed for no other reason than they had hardened their foolish hearts after the signs and wonders in the land of Egypt through God's servant Moses. Each of us has fallen away from God's will. Each of us needs to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. 1 John 1, 8-10 Confession of sin is a very valuable practice for the Christian. One who confesses his sinfulness finds himself with a softer heart because his sins are forgiven. One who does not confess his sinfulness hardens his heart against Jesus and his forgiveness. Korah's insurrection in the wilderness in number 16 shows what God does to those who willfully harden their hearts against God and his word. For more information, go back to last month's episode, especially the words on chapter 43. The earth swallowed up the insurrectionist their families, and all their goods. The, everything was brought down to Hades in punishment. Death was their shepherd. They followed the death of their sin into the grave. Being buried alive is probably the worst kind of death. It is definitely one of man's greatest fears. Just months before Korah's rebellion, Pharaoh and his army chased the Israelites through the Red Sea. Pharaoh had hardened his heart against God so that the ten plagues would come. After the last plague, which culminated in the death of his own firstborn son, Pharaoh allows the Israelites to leave Egypt. He quickly changes his mind, rehardens his heart, and gives chase before his slave labor can get too far away. 
their chariots and horsemen were tangled up in themselves and were overtaken by the waters of the sea. Exodus 14, 24-29. Pharaoh's entire army was destroyed because of his hardened heart. But God, through Christ, ransoms the softened heart of the penitent from Sheol. Psalm 49, 15. The signs and wonders which Jesus and his prophets and apostles did manifested God's glory and mercy toward mankind. This mercy is ultimately shown in God ransoming the penitent. All who confess Jesus as Lord with their mouth and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Romans 10, 9-13. The Roman presbyters pick up their encouragement in chapter 52. Brethren, the master has need of nothing at all. He desires nothing at all except the confession of him. For the elect David said, I will confess to the Lord, and it will please him more than a young calf growing horns and hooves. Let the poor see and rejoice. And again he says, Sacrifice to God a sacrifice of praise, and offer to the Most High your vows, and call upon me in the day of your trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. For a sacrifice to God is a broken spirit. God needs nothing from his creation, Acts 17.25. He gives his creation everything it needs. All he has ever commanded of his creation is to love and glorify him. This does not need to be done through the multitude of animal sacrifices through the Levitical priesthood. While God instituted the Levitical priesthood and sacrifices, it was quickly abused. Eli's sons made it into a money-making racket, as seen in 1 Samuel 2, 12-17. After the Romans took over Palestine, the high priesthood became a political appointment, as seen in John 18, 13. David shows proper glorification throughout the psalm. Confession of sins to the Lord runs throughout the psalm. Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15, 51, 17, 69, 31 through 33, and so on. Confession of sins is seen as much greater than the sacrifices that have been abused. Praising God's glory comes by confessing sins with a broken spirit. The Presbyters continue in chapter 53. For you know the Holy Scriptures, and you know them well, beloved, and you have searched God's words. Therefore we have written to bring these things to your remembrance. For Moses went up into the mountain and stayed forty days and forty nights in fasting and humility. God said to him, Go down quickly from this place, because your people, which you have led out of the land of Egypt, have transgressed. They have moved away quickly from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves molten images. And again the Lord said to him, I have seen this people, and behold, they are stiff-necked. Allow me to utterly destroy them, and I will blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you into a great and wonderful and more numerous nation than this one. And Moses said, May it never be, Lord. Forgive the sin of this people, or blot me out of the book of life. O mighty love, O unsurpassing perfection, the servant boldly asked the Lord to ask forgiveness for the multitude, or to anoint himself with them worthily. The Roman presbyters commend the Corinthians because they were like Timothy, acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.15. The Corinthians also imitated the Bereans, who searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things which Paul and Silas taught were so, Acts 17.11. The Roman presbyters point to Moses on Mount Sinai as he received the law from God's hand. While Moses spends forty days and nights on the mountain in fasting and humility, the Israelites grew impatient. They quickly turned from following after God to something with more physical substance and familiarity, the golden calf, Exodus 32. 
The chastisement here for the Corinthians is not as vicious as Paul's chastisement of the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 1-9, through 9, who were bewitched to follow another gospel quickly after Paul had preached the pure gospel to them. God's people of all time are stiff-necked, Exodus 32.9. While God desired to wipe them out completely, as he would command them to do to the Canaanites, he must also keep his promises he has given to his people. The Old Testament is replete with remnant theology. This theology teaches that there will always be a faithful remnant of God's people among the sinful majority. Genesis 45, 4-8, Exodus 32, 25-29, 1 Kings 19, 13-18, 2 Kings 19, 29-34, Isaiah 11, 11-16, and on and on. While the entire people of God, like all people on earth, are sinful, a faithful remnant will always remain on the earth. This remnant finds itself as the exiles who go off into Babylon, those who return from Babylon to Jerusalem under Ezra and Nehemiah, and the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So we end this month with chapter 54. Who therefore among you is noble? Who is compassionate? Who has been filled with love? Let him say, if through me there is a faction and strife and schism, I will flee, I will depart, whatever you will, and I will do the things of Christ's flock. Let me be at peace with those who have been appointed presbyters. This one who has done this for himself will win great renown in Christ. Every place will receive him, for the land is the Lord's and its fullness. Thus godly citizens have done and will do, which does not need to be repented of. The noble, compassionate, and loving are called upon to confess their sins. If they have been the cause of a faction or schism, they will flee from their faction. If they have caused strife, they will depart the congregation so that peace may dwell in the congregation. Such self-exclusion is not to be the end of a Christian's existence with the congregation. The congregation allows it so that the erring Christian may see his or her sin and repent thereof. The repentant will find on the last day that they have won for themselves great renown with Christ. They will find themselves received and accepted everywhere in God's new creation. Psalm 24, 1. More blessed are they if they receive this renown in this life by being faithfully brought back into the church after having erred. The godly citizens of Christ's kingdom do these things and are not to repent of them. They must certainly repent of their sins, but they must not repent that they are in need of repentance. This repentance that is unnecessary is remorse. Christians should have no remorse in the confession of their sins and the absolution they receive from the church. Those who have caused schisms and seditions in the church should not be so overcome with remorse that they believe God will never forgive them. There is no sin that Jesus did not die for except the one for which you will not repent from. God's restoration of sinners should never lead to remorse. God mercifully forgives sinners. And it is in this mercy, this forgiveness, this love that I wish for you God's richest blessings as you wrestle with theology this week. Amen.